through 20 in chapter 1, Paul gives what's, what is probably one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture on the majesty and preeminence and the glory of Christ. I think very few places in Scripture match the majesty of the way Christ is portrayed there and what he's done for us by delivering us from the, from the power and the dominion of, of, of darkness and brought us into his, the kingdom of his son. That's all God's work. It's all God's work. And you know what? Listen, it behooves us. It does us good as believers to go back and remember that. Because if we're not careful, as believers, we can become accustomed to what God has done for us, and, and it loses its, it lose its glory. It loses its glory. And God has, has a way of reminding us of that that we're going to touch on in just a minute. Listen, never lose sight of the fact that God delivered you from something that you couldn't deliver yourself from and brought you into a place that you're not worthy of. We were captive to darkness, held like a chain, bound by darkness. And, we, and there, if we had to admit it, we loved it that way. We loved being bound by that chain. That's, people love that today. I have shared the gospel with people, and I remember a young man very well that, and I asked him, what, is, what right now is preventing you? He looked me dead in the face and said, because I love my sin. I mean, he named it. Because I, I'm not going to give that up. You see, it's, not, it, it's your sin that stands in the way of you, and, of you and Christ. It's your sin that is. You love it so. And believers, listen, we need to keep a short account with ourselves because we can also fall into that trap. That we'll look at again in a minute as well. And then in chapter 2, verse 4 through 23, Paul warned him about false teachers we talked about last week and how those false teachers sought to deceive them using worldly wisdom and worldly, uh, using worldly philosophy centered on, a wor on worldly things and, and concluding that those worldly methods in chapter 23, are useless in dealing with the cravings to satisfy their indwelling sinful desires. Now, he's talking to Christians here. Listen, he's talking to Christians here. He wrote to Christians that all these things that they were, that they were being tempted by these, these false teachers in dealing with the indwelling sin in a believer. You see, that's something that we hear very little about today that the old Puritans, and 200 years ago, you would hear from the pulpit regularly about dealing with indwelling sin in a believer. Because whether we know it or not, or willing to admit it or not, we still are battle. Listen, our biggest battle is not with false teachers, honestly. I mean, you can, if, you're, if you're a believer in Christ and you're following him and you want to walk with him, your antenna will go up when you hear something that's unbiblical. Your antenna will go up. I mean, it'll, it'll ring. I remember one day Debbie and I were listening to a pastor on TV, and he came out with something, and, I, I don't, and Debbie looked at me and said, what? I said, I know. I know. Our antenna go up. 
The problem is so much stuff outside. As I mentioned last week, it's the things inside. It's the indwelling sin. And we've got to learn how to deal with the things within us. The things within us, that, that sinful play, those sinful desires, the things that he, that he says in verse 23, the indulgences of the flesh. The indulgences of the flesh. So that's why Paul wrote as he did, listen, we need the same warnings today that the Colossians needed then. You know why? Because we're no different. We're no different. We don't ride, we don't ride in chariots and we don't, you know, we ride in a, in a, in a gas-powered, electric-powered vehicle, whatever your, your flavor is. We live in houses that have electricity and water uh, most of the time. And, <laughs> but we're still the same. Human nature hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And so we need these same warnings because, and, and much of what's proclaimed in churches today around the world is, geared, listen, it comes from the pulpits, many cases, to appease the flesh of people. I mean, why do you think books like Your Best Life Now are so popular? I mean, these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, listen, all this stuff is tied to things of this world. I don't care if you're a billionaire. You're going to leave that all behind. I don't care what kind of vehicle you're driving. You will not drive it to glory. You will not. All of these things here that, we, that so grab our attention and, and weave its way into our heart are going to be left behind. And, and they hinder our walk with Christ. They hinder it. They hinder our view and our longings for eternity. Listen, I, I think I mentioned last week that the, the word things that's in, that's in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The, he said, uh, seek the things that are above. Set your heart on things. The word things is not in there. It's supplied in our translation. In other words, in the, the original writing, you know what it said? It said, seek the above. Set your heart on the above. Because listen, the things that are, that what is above we're to seek and to set our heart on are things. It's a person. It's a person. What distresses me is a lot of, a lot of preachers I hear talk and a lot, of, uh, a lot of Christians talk. Listen, they would just as soon go to heaven whether Jesus was there or not. As long as you just escape into heaven, it wouldn't matter if Jesus was there. Folks, listen. I heard an old pure, I read an old Puritan one day and said, listen, if Jesus resides in hell, send me there. Because wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. You understand his point? You understand his point? I, I remember Sonny Mills, an old pastor I had, used to sing a song that it was all I could do to get through the words. And he said, you talk about going to, going to glory. And he said, he looked around and he saw uh, Matthew and, and he saw Mark and he saw the Apostle Paul, and he saw these others, and they were introducing him. He said, but I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. He's the one who died for me. Amen. I want to see him. Is that your longing for glory? Is that your longing when you draw your last breath? 
is to see him. Listen, you know what Paul said? He said, I'm torn between two. He was in prison. And he said, I'm torn. I'd rather go on and be with Christ because that's better. But to stay here is more needful for you. In other words, he's saying, look, I ain't getting my way. I'm having to stay here. I just wish they'd go ahead and cut my head off. How many of us would honestly say that? How many of us can honestly say, I am looking forward to the day I draw my last breath? You know what? It says a whole lot about our spiritual maturity. Now look, don't get me wrong. I don't want to die this afternoon. But I do know what, what Psalms says. It says, you have written every one of them, the days that are in your book for me. God has got a day when, I, when he knew I was going to be born, and there's a day somewhere in, in heaven's calendar, in heaven's calendar, where that day will be here. <coughs> that day will be here. And, you know, we need to be prepared for that day. And it's not just saying I'm, I've been redeemed. Listen, there, there's a deeper way to prepare other than just being redeemed by Christ. You know that? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The reason he wrote this because, listen, this world's not our home. This world is not our home. This world does, listen, this world does not promise peace. It cannot deliver peace. This world cannot meet our deepest need. This world, listen, this world holds no sure hope for the future. It, no sure hope. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how big your 401k is. Listen, it won't take much of an economic collapse to wipe it all away. Your health can turn on a dime. Your closest relationship can be fractured in an instant. Make the most of what you have and those that you have. Nurture those relationships. Guard your finances. I, that's not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is don't place your hope in any of those things because they can be lost. The only thing this world can offer are things that are temporary, and we extinct Don't we know that? I mean, don't deep inside, the things that we lust for and long for, don't we know they're not going to last? But still, we, we go on. The next big thing, don't we? The next big thing. Listen, the very words tell us it's not the end. I mean, people stand in line for the, I mean, around city blocks and spending thousands of dollars on the newest iPhone. And guess what? A year from now, they're going to come out with another one. But, oh, but I got the current one. Yeah, that's good, that's good for about 12 months. And you need to be lusting for the next one. Isn't that incredible? We're never satisfied. Listen, you, you have your hopes and your desires set on anything you can hold in your hand. You're going to be dissatisfied. Don't you want something that lasts longer than you? That's exactly why Paul says what he does, to seek the above, to set our minds on the above. But listen, in verse 1, there's a qualifier. I want you to notice 
In chapter 3, verse 1, there's a qualifier. Here's what it is. He said, if you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. That's the qualifier. Nobody is going to seek the above. Nobody's going to set their minds on the above unless you have been raised with Christ. And in order to be raised with Christ, you have to have died with Christ. Christ died for sin. So what, is he, what are we to do as believers? We're to die to sin. We're to die to sin. And that's what he says. Um, he gives an examples of that in verse, for example, in verse 5 in chapter 3. He said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, those earthly things. And what are those? Look what those things. There's sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming on those who, who make those the very things that they pursue. But only those, and listen, those only who have died with Christ have been raised with him and those are the ones that he died for. Listen, Hebrews, and, and the reason we are to, the very reason Paul addresses this, I believe, because this is our battle. Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the spiritual struggle that goes on inside? Are you aware of what Galatians talked about, the, the, the battle between the, the flesh and the spirit, and how the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and it keeps you from doing the things you want to do? It happens. You ever been somewhere where you just wanted to, you wanted to let somebody have it? Everybody has, haven't you? And you just realize, you just, you, you grit your teeth and you know the Spirit's saying, don't. Yeah, but he needs to get a piece of my mind. I don't want him to go off here without hearing what I got to say. Well, because listen, you know what, what you're fixing to say is coded with death. You know, one of the things Paul talks about later on in chapter 3 there, those are mostly sins of the mouth. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Boy, how often do we slander other people? You know, if you want to get right down to it, slander is murder. We never would stick a knife in somebody or shoot them, but you know what we'll do? We'll destroy their reputation with their mouth. We'll kill their, we'll kill their reputation with other people. Then I, listen, it doesn't matter what somebody does to you. There's no reason for you to ever to murder them to somebody else. Listen, if they're a jerk, let that person find out about it. You don't have to tell them. You know what? Listen, if I'm a jerk, Ronnie doesn't have to tell everybody. Peyton will know it just from being around me. Isn't that right? I'll prove it. Don't tell anybody. You don't have to tell somebody. Listen, besides, I might need the grace that'll lead me to Christ. How often do we slander an unbeliever to another believer? How often do we slander a believer to another believer? 
You see how easy James said, look, if you control your tongue, your whole body is under, under control. Because that's the hardest thing to deal with. Right there. Right there. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. Now get this, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Folks, that ought, to, that ought to shiver our timbers. The fact that you will not see the Lord unless you are marked by holiness. That's why he says that we're to strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, the gospel isn't just Christ died for you, trust him, and go to heaven. The gospel is to be made in conformity to the image of Christ. God doesn't just save people and say, okay, then it's going to live the way you want to, and I'll bring you to heaven one day. No, listen, he is to be the one we emulate. We say, he is the one we adore. Didn't we just sing about it? He's our praise. He's our praise. To see the Lord. What a day. What a day that'll be, folks. Is that not the day we're looking for? Is that not the day we should be looking for as believers? We should be looking for the day of the Lord. We should be listening for that trumpet. We should be listening for that shout. And be ready for it. Be anxious for it. Be looking for it. Be praying for it. Be preparing other people for it. Being prepared ourselves. Being prepared ourselves. Look, that's exactly what Jesus said in chapter 14 of, of the book of John. Listen to what he said. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, we're not, if it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? He's going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's what he wants. He's going to prepare a place for those who have trusted him, and he wants you there. He wants you there. He's preparing that place for his bride. And that's, listen, in, John, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, right, look at verses 23 and 24. This is just incredible. He said, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and, listen, and have loved them as you have loved me. Look up here. Listen, has it ever struck you that God the Father loves you like he loved his son? God loves you like he loved his own son. I can't think of anything more earth-shaking than that right there. But he goes on. Look what he says next. He said, Father, I desire. I desire, God, what I want. Father, what I want is that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me 
before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine the Son of God telling the Father, Father, this is what I want. I want them with me. I want them, bring them with, bring them. I want them with, listen, the Father will answer the Son's prayer. You will be there. You will be there to see his glory. And listen, he said, listen, that you have loved them as you have loved me. And he said, and you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Listen, believer, I can tell you something I think that we can surmise from this. God will never stop loving you. You know why I know? Because he never started. He has loved you since before the foundation of the world. I have loved you with an everlasting love. God didn't start loving you one day. He loved you before the stars were there. <laughs> That's how big our God is. That's how big our God is. What a mark. And we look in the mirror and we see this sinful man. We see this sinful woman. And we think, how can it be? The Lamb of God could rescue the soul of men and women and boys and girls. Don't expect God to act like we think he should. See, Jesus could have ridden down here on a white horse day one and just declared who he was, those who were his, those who weren't, and been done with it. God could have been done with it in the Garden of Eden. The minute Adam sinned, he could have just wiped and said, I'm done. But you know, somehow, somehow, Adam falling in the garden works more for God's glory than if Adam had never sinned. Brother, I don't know how we compared notes. Somehow you got into my study because uh, our Sunday school lesson in this morning just kind of merged together. But listen, I'm serious. You know, we think that, you know, if they, they, if they hadn't fallen, things would have been better. No, listen, things are better because they did. Adam never would have known what, God, what it was to know God's mercy. If he never had fallen, he wouldn't have known God's mercy. The angels never could understand the greatness of God to redeem those who spit in his face. The angels can't grasp our salvation because remember the Satan took a third of the angels. When they, they sinned one time and God cast them out of heaven. But he made man in his image. And he knew all along that Adam was going to fall. He knew all along that every one of us were going to inherit our sinful nature from Adam. And somehow our sinful nature and the redemption in Christ works more to God's glory as if we had never fallen. You understand? 
God's bigger than we can, than we can even imagine. So don't think for one minute. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care how deep sin has its grip in you. I don't care how far down you are in the pit of sin and despair. Listen, grace can reach down further than where you are. No sinner has sinned beyond God's grace. No sinner has. And listen, no believer has sinned beyond the point of God's reclaiming where you are. Ask Peter. Ask Peter. Peter, you'll deny me three times. Peter, Satan has demanded to have you to sift you like wheat. Oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. They may all, I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. Six hours later, I don't even know him. I don't know who he is. I don't know what you're talking about. Christ restored him. And he was the first person to preach publicly, and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Don't think, believer, you sin beyond God's reclaiming you. But don't keep going on that way. That's why he gave himself for us, the church, to cleanse us. And, and, and Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, this is what he said. This is in context. He's talking about the, the husband's love for the wives, but listen to what he said. Husbands, love your wives. Listen, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, we together as believers are the church. The church of all time is all believers down through history up until that last day, those living and those dead that, that are in Christ. We are the church that he's talking about here. And he said, my church, my bride will be spotless. And he's talking about each of us. That's what, listen, guys, let me ask you a question. If your bride, I don't know about you, but when my bride came walking down that aisle, I could not have told you my name. She was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And still is to this day. But I couldn't even speak. And I don't know if Pastor John thought, well, he's not all in this. I was. John, I just couldn't talk. I think I grunted a time or two, and, and maybe I nodded my head. But listen, if she'd have walked down that aisle like she had just gotten through rustling up some my father-in-law's goats and tromped all in that and smelled like an old goat, I would not have been as pleased to see her. <laughs> well, honey, listen, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I know what it means to fall down in, in the goat pen, and I know what you smell like when you get through working the goats. I know that. Christ's bride will be pure. 
and she'll be dressed in holiness and blamelessness. That's what Christ's work is. And I listen, one of my fears is that too many believers think, look, I'm, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. Listen, that's just a start. The work begins then. And it's struggling against your flesh. It's, it's, it's seeking for God to reveal to you where, 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 we're, where we're not where we ought to be. Where we're, we're not where we ought to be. We all know there's those areas, but you know what we do? We want to gloss over them, don't we? We don't want to put a, too fine a finger on them. We don't want God to really probe, but that's what he does. I'm going to tell you something. Spiritual discipline will hurt you more than anything else. But God disciplines his children. God disciplines his children. Yet not for our hurt, but he wants us to be like Christ. And as believers, we ought to be. We ought to be open to it. This what, that's what motivates us to put off the things that Paul talks about. And that's what, listen, that's why we long to see him. If you long to see Christ, look what he says in 1 John chapter 3. Verses 2 and 3 said, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in himself purifies himself as he is pure. Child of God, how far along are you in that pursuing the holiness, the purity that marks his children? Is it a daily pursuit? Is it something you strive for? Is it, are your hopes in Christ to the level where you pursue holiness? You know what? That's, that's who heaven's preparing for. Preparing for the marriage supper of the lamb and his bride in Revelation 19, verse six through eight. Listen to what he wrote. He said, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You see, that's the bride. The bride is going to be pure. The bride is going to be righteous. The bride is going to be as the bride of Christ should be. And that's what, listen, that's what now is for. I've heard it said before. We've all already heard it said. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. Are you preparing for it? Believer, are you preparing for heaven? Lastly, how this is all consummated in chapter 21, I think we touched on this last week. It's the culmination of all that has gone before, of all the preparations made for the kingdom of God and by those who long for his appearance. <laughs> For those who long for his appearing, look in chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. See, all those things that people long for, all the earthly things, all the things that, you, that are tangible things, the things that you can touch and, and hold in your hand and deposit in the bank and park in a driveway and unlock with a key, all those things are going to be consumed. They're going to be burned up. All the heavens will be burned up. The earth will and they'd be a new heavens and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. See, that's what heaven is, folks. It's his presence. It's being there in his presence. Listen, it's not just escaping the things of this world that are trying and, and the heartaches and the heartbreaks and the trials and the tribulations. It's not escaping all the, that. A lot of times we want that. We want, we just, I've said it myself, all the things that are going on in this world. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But you know, it's not just delivering us out of trouble. Listen, it's bringing us into his presence. Amen. That's what be, ought to be our motivation. I don't want out of this world to get out of all. I want to be with him. Do you? You want to be with him. That are, that's the great thing. Of it. And then it'd be, it's eternity in his presence, unhindered by sin, unhindered by shame, unhindered by guilt. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deed of the saints. Is that what you're longing for? Are you longing for that day to be with him in his presence? Is seeing him, listen, we will see him. We will see a lamb as though he's been slain. You know that? Folks, something that ought to shake us is the fact that Christ, when he was raised, he had a mortal body. He was raised with an immortal body. We had to put off, had to put off our mortal bodies and put on immortality. That's, listen, death is a blessing because we put on immortality. A body that'll never grow old, a body that'll never die, a body that'll never grieve, a body that'll never fall apart, a body, body that'll never need a surgery, a body that'll never break down. And we'll be in the presence of Christ, listen, in his immortal, ascended, resurrected body. Do you know your Savior has forever and ever consigned himself to live in a body? like ours. Isn't that remarkable? It's a glorified body. It's a body that's glorified by, as the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity, but it is nonetheless a body. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more can he do? What more can he do?
He died for sin. Believer, we're to die to sin. And if you don't know him this morning, you can come. And you can lay your sin before him. Listen, that's all an unbeliever can bring to Christ anyway. You can't bring promises of doing better. Because you won't. I know, I've been there. Don't make God promises you won't keep and unable to keep. Listen, here's what you bring to Christ. Every sin you know of, you just come and confess them. Can I give you a clue? He already knows about him anyway. He already knows about him anyway. You can't tell God something he doesn't know. Not like your mom or your daddy. God already knows. And he just says, come. Jesus said, come, all who are laboring are heavy laden. And he said, I'll give you rest. Rest. Not load you down with a bunch of, he said, I'll give you rest. What a savior. What a savior, not just of unbelievers. Listen, but a savior of believers. He's still your savior today, saint. He's still your saint today. What a saint. And that's the day we're looking for. Is that the day you're longing for? To see him. To see him. Saints, sometimes we have things to repent of ourselves that we've been pursuing things of this world and it's hindered us from pursuing the things of eternity. Pursuing him. Seek the above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth.